Thanks, worship team, for leading us in some beautiful Christmas music again. I echo what Tim said. It's good to see a lot more people here again. Glad people are feeling healthy or getting healthy again. I know there's been a lot of sickness around, so it is really good to see you all here. So I guess we have now officially entered into the Christmas season, have we? I think so. It's December. Um, so we've, this, this morning actually starts a series that we'll be preaching through leading us up to Christmas. And I'm grateful for that. I did a little bit of research. Worldwide, Christmas is the most celebrated and recognized holiday of all. So kind of expected that. But you know, it's not the most celebrated holiday in America. This is according to Statista.com, all right? They, said, they say that um, Thanksgiving is actually the most celebrated holiday in America, and Christmas is right after that. Find something to debunk that, because I don't like that one, but that's... That was just some research that I found. It was surprising. I was really surprised. Because Christmas in, in America is a really big deal. It, for sure in our culture. Um, we see it. There's celebrations all around. You think about it. Is there any other, any other holiday that even Christians celebrate that has its own genre of music? Like Christmas, there's, there's tons and tons of Christmas songs from, I don't know, Jingle Bell Rock to Awana Manger to Silent Night that we just sang. There's such a vast array. There's there's other holidays that have maybe a little bit of music that surrounds, but I don't think there's any that quite have that connection um, like Christmas does. So I was really surprised that, again, take that for what it's worth, that it's not the most celebrated in America. But as you think about Christmas, as we think about Christmas... So what, what would be, if I would ask you or someone would ask you, what would be, what does your perfect Christmas look like? What, how would you describe it? I'd be really curious what, what, that would, what that would sound like. What would that look like for you? The perfect Christmas. I mean, it can be anything from getting together with our families. If you're like me, you'd love to have snow on Christmas and around Christmas too, but... Um, there's so many, so many ways that we celebrate Christmas, so many good ways, and yet as I, as I studied our passage today, I realized, man, there's so many ways that we can miss Christmas. In spite of all the celebration that we do, we can miss Christmas. I do it sometimes. What I want us to remember, what I want to, want to point us to today, so that the title of today's message is the hope of Christmas, is that this Christmas that we would learn and remember to celebrate, that it's not just about celebrating our get-togethers, our lives that are just falling into place just perfectly. We can celebrate with our Christmas trees and lights and snow and stars and all that good stuff. But to remember that in the darkness of this world and in the darkness of our own lives... Christmas shines a light 
that changes something in, in people's lives that nothing else can, that you and I cannot change. And that's kind of the setting that we find ourselves um, in Isaiah 9. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, because it starts out, or the background to Isaiah 9 is a really dark place, but in that dark place, God sends a light, and it's all pointing forward to Christmas. So I would suggest to us that Christmas is that for us personally and for our world and how we should approach Christmas and celebrate it and share it is God bringing his light into the darkness of the world. And when he does that, it changes something in us and it changes something in the world because it brings hope to our lives. So go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to start um, reading in verse 2. We're going to read verses 2 through 7, and then we're going to come back and get a couple of verses before that yet. Isaiah 9, starting in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in every battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called... Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As I looked at this passage, we often, or this is me, go to verse 6, don't we? That is such a familiar verse, verse 6, because that's kind of the, it's the climax of this passage, but what's surrounding the passage actually brings so much meaning and depth to verse 6. So I, wanna, I want us to take a little bit of time here and just back up to chapter 18, if, you, if we could, just for a little bit. And three things that I want to I point out to us then as we think about the hope of Christmas and looking at this passage and what it means and what it brings to us today. The first one is that hope is born in darkness. Secondly, hope is anchored in the past. And thirdly, that hope is secured in Christ. So hope is born in darkness. I was trying to think of a better way to say it, but let I'll leave, it, I'll leave it at that. Hope is born in darkness. And then see if you can follow along with what I'm trying to say here. How do you define hope? How do you define hope in your life? Can you live without hope? If you want to zap the life and the energy out of a person or a people or a group, is take hope away. What do you, what, what do you have to go for? 
Hope is something that is in the present, but it is always pointing to something in the future. So think of it, think of it that way. It's always pointing to something in the future. Do you need hope? Do I need hope when I think I've got it all together and when life is going just exactly the way I want it to go? Do I recognize a need for hope when, it, when, it, when, I'm, when I find myself there? Yeah, maybe in a little bit, because as Christians we know, we, we need the hope of Christ. But isn't it, isn't it true, at least when I look at my own life, when I'm at the darkest places personally, and when I see the darkness of our world, isn't that when the need for hope becomes the most evident? Suddenly I recognize that I desperately need something else. So in darkness, we recognize that need, and that's why I say hope is born in darkness. So let's look at the, the condition that God's people find themselves in here in chapter 9. Isaiah is speaking in chapter 9, but in chapter 18, the conditions of the people of God are extremely bleak. They're very, very dark. The first part of chapter 18 talks about the coming um, invasion from Assyria, that they're going to come and they're going to wipe out the people. There will be a remnant that remains. But the, the time is very, very dark. And if we, if, I wanted to mention this earlier. First part of cha- uh, verse 2 in chapter 19, it says the people walked in darkness. Other translations say the people walking in darkness. And I point that out because I, I think it's important that we recognize that the darkness that he is talking about here is something that they're actually experiencing and living in and walking in. It's not something that they're just observing from a distance. Okay, so what we're reading about and talking about here, or I'll, what I'll show you in chapter 18, is what they are actually living in. So they're under the threat of attack from Assyria. There's incredible darkness. Their identity is... Um, is at stake. The nation is being plundered. They're stumbling in dark like they've lost their way. And they continually turn to their own means to try to solve their problems. Verse 20 says, as long as they don't turn to God and to the scriptures and what God says, that no dawn is going to come to the people. That's how the darkness that they're living in. But look at the descripting word, descripting words um, of the people in verse um, 20 and 21. I'm just going to go through and point out some of the describing words of the people at this time. They were greatly distressed. They were hungry. They were enraged. Down in verse 22, they were in distress and darkness. There was gloom. There was anguish. And then it says there was thick darkness. So gloom and anguish and darkness is describing their lives. The darkness, the deep darkness that he's talking about, the the very last one, deep or thick darkness, literally means death darkness. There is absolutely no hope in sight for the people. There's darkness for the nation. There's darkness in every believer or every individual at one time or another. Now, I want to draw your attention to one more verse in chapter 8. 
It is in verse um, 17. I'm sorry, it's not verse 17. I thought it was in 17. Yes, it is verse 17. I will wait for the Lord, this is Isaiah speaking, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. Isn't that darkness? Doesn't that feel like darkness when God is hiding his face from us? That's something I think that each one of us can relate to on some level or another. Now, let's jump forward to chapter 9, verse 1. What's the first, what's the first word in chapter 9, verse 1? Depends what translation, translation you have, but the word but, or nevertheless in some others. So there's this utter darkness, there's deep anguish, there's gloom, and then this word pops up and says, but. Isn't that a glimmer of hope? beginning to pop through. Notice the word, as you read through Scripture, notice how that word pops up every time God, or not every time, often when God speaks of a coming judgment, a judgment for His people, then He offers a but. This is your way out. Ephesians 2 is probably one of the most most well-known ones. He talks about how we were all lost in, in our darkness and in sin, but God in his great love. That, just that, that word, but God. But suddenly there's this great change. There's this shift beginning to happen from the darkness and the gloom that they're experiencing. But then he says, but there will be no gloom for those who are in anguish. And hope begins to give birth. So we need hope the most when we're in the darkest places. And when that, when that word but comes through, but God, nevertheless God, something shifts in your heart, something shifts in your soul, and light can begin to penetrate. So the hope that he's talking about, the, the, the verses 2 through 7, the hope that he's talking about is in verse, he gives, it, gives the, or describes it in verses 2 and 3, then he kind of explains it from verses 4 through 7. But the hope that he describes is a light penetrating in darkness. Now, you remember the language that he uses in describing the conditions of the people is utter darkness and gloom. And then he says, but a light is going to come and it's going to penetrate the darkness. It would be so cool if we could just make this room completely pitch black suddenly. Have you ever been in a place where it's so dark where you literally can't see your hand in front of your face? And then someone strikes a match or lights a candle and suddenly the light begins to penetrate the darkness because the darkness whether it's physical darkness, whether it's spiritual darkness, whether it's darkness that we're experiencing in our own lives for whatever reason, is simply the absence of light. When God's light begins to penetrate or becomes known, the darkness has to flee. The darkness has no place where the light begins to shine. And so with Christmas, 
Jesus coming, the birth of Christ, is to be that light that shines in the dark, darkness of our world. And in the presence of him, of that child, that darkness cannot stand. Just like you turn the lights on in here, the darkness is gone. Darkness is simply the absence of light. But you think about the people who Isaiah is writing to, the birth of Christ, this hope that he's talking about, doesn't happen for a long period of time yet. They still have to wait. And yet it's written about the light in the present tense. It says, Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And the, the first phrase is, They have seen a great light. And so I wonder sometimes if hope isn't simply me being able to believe that God's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. When God says it, you can take it to the bank. It's going to come true. It's going to happen. Darkness is going to give way to light, even though they, don't, they, aren't, even, they aren't going to see it for some time. The hope of the light that's going to come and penetrate the darkness is there. <clears throat> Not only does the light penetrate the darkness, but in verse 3 it tells us that their joy is going to be increased. Their distress is going to give way to joy. So hope is born in the darkest moments of our lives when we recognize that we can do nothing of ourselves. Secondly, hope is anchored in the past. So recently, um, I was challenged to start journaling again. I don't know how many of you do, but if you journal, and you ever go back and you look at things that you wrote or things that you prayed about, things that you talked about, things that you were wrestling with, years later, you look back and you can see God's faithfulness, God's provision. What, what does that do for you when you see it? When, you, when you're thinking about the future... And then you look back and you see the way, all the ways that God has delivered you, has stepped in and, and shaped your life and done things in your life in the past. Isn't that, doesn't that give you an incredible amount of hope going into the future? Notice what Isaiah points the people back to, or God is pointing the people back to in verse 4. There's two things, there's two things I think that God is pointing the people back to here in, um, in verse 4. So part of, part of being in hope is having a confident expectation. And that expectation can be anchored, or the confidence in it can be built and is built when we look into the past. So verse 4 uses the language of slavery. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, and the rod of his oppressor. It's talking about the slavery, and I think it's pointing the people back to the time when they were in Egypt. Now, when the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, was there anything that they could do to free themselves? What was their part in being freed from slavery? God did the work, right? God was the one who came and delivered them. They simply had to believe and follow Moses out and walk and go. Just simply follow. And then he says in the last phrase of verse 4, you have broken the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. 
So just a couple weeks ago, wasn't Marcus preached on the life of Gideon? And we know the story of Gideon so well, how God delivered and destroyed an entire army, the enemy, the Midianites, with an army of Gideon and what was the 300 soldiers left, right? Was there anything in that that they could take credit for? Look what we accomplished. Could Gideon say, do you see what we did here? Look how strong, look how powerful we are. Look how powerful I am. No, it's so clear. It's only God. There's no way that that could happen without God's intervention. And so reminding them the ways that God has moved in the past, saving them in a way that only brings glory to God, in a way that they can take no glory for themselves, that's the exact same way that he's going to come and he's going to save his people when the child comes. Is that what a picture of salvation? Is there anything you and I can do to earn it, to be good enough, to save ourselves? It's only the work of Christ. <clears throat> so the victory is an act of God excluding human glory or accomplishment. And just as that is true in the past, it's going to be true in the future. Hope, real hope, biblical hope, godly hope, is never dependent on what you and I can accomplish. It's always dependent on what God said He's going to do and what God has done. And thirdly, our hope is secure in Christ. Our hope is secure in Christ. Verse 6, like I said, is kind of the climax of this whole text. This is what the biggest, the greatest explanation of, of the hope that is coming in Christ. The child is born, but do you think about this? It says a child is born. The emphasis is not on what this child is going to do what this child is going to accomplish. It is simply on the birth of the child. I, I, I was struck with that, and I wrestled, I wrestled with that. I was like, so why, why is the emphasis just on the birth of this child? One commentator that I read, um, I think his name is Moitier, says, in the coming, it is in his coming that all the results from his coming are at once secured. Let me read that again and think about it. In his coming, all that results from his coming is at once secured. So in other words, just in the, in the coming of Christ, his life, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return are all secured. It's all coming to fruition and it all starts with the birth of of this child, the ultimate hope for a world that is broken and a world that is lost. <clears throat> what, is, what does he mean when he says the government shall be on his shoulder? On this child, this child born in a manger, a helpless baby, and he says on, on this child the government of the world is going to rest on his shoulders. This is the only place in the Old Testament where the word, this word government is used. And it simply means to be a prince or an executive. 
So the ultimate rule of this world rests on the birth of a child. The hope of Israel, the hope of the nations, the hope of the world, and the hope for you and I. Jesus is the ultimate King of kings, the ultimate Lord of lords, and his rule and his reign is going to be supreme. And the nature, the nature of his rule is dependent or is revealed, I think, in the names that he's given. There's some, there's some great studies out there on these four names that Christ has given. The Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Dig into some of those this Christmas season. What those mean, what those describe, how they describe Christ, and how those, those descriptions of who this child in the manger is, and how he will rule this government, this kingdom that Jesus is coming to build, what that's going to look like. The Wonderful Counselor is the one who gives supernatural counsel. He's Emmanuel. One of my favorite names of Jesus, it's not mentioned here, is Emmanuel, because it means God with us. Where would we be were it not for Emmanuel, God with us? Mighty God, he's the one who delivers. Everlasting Father, the one who loves us unconditionally. He's the Prince of Peace. That means peace on every level, both vertically and horizontally. The kingdom that Jesus has come to build is built on peace. And on that peace and the increase of that peace, it says, the increase of his government, his rule, and his peace, there will be no end. As long as this world stands, this earth as now, his peace is going to continue to grow and expand. And he does that by using you and I. Because you and I are now that light that goes out and penetrates into the darkness of the world. About those names of Christ, Ray Ortland says it this way. So listen, listen carefully to this. This is really good. As the wonderful counselor, he has the best ideas and strategies. So let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemy, e- enemies easily. So let's hide behind him. As the everlasting father, he loves us endlessly. Let's enjoy him. Think about that for a minute. Do you ever stop and simply enjoy God? Or how about letting God enjoy you? The wonderful Father, or the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, he reconciles us while we are still enemies. Let's welcome his dominion, his rule in our lives and in our world. So conclusion. The hope this Christmas. When we look at our world and we see darkness around us, we look at out into our culture here in America, I don't have to tell you that it's really dark. There is a ton of darkness there. But, but God, okay? We, we can get so wrapped up, we can get, so, oh, I can't anyway, in, in all the negative things that are happening, but God brings light to the darkness. 
And that light will penetrate the darkness of the world. No matter how great the darkness may seem or is, God's light is going to penetrate that darkness. And then it's anchored in Christ. Or it's anchored in when we look at God's faithfulness in the past and it's secure in the coming of Christ. So who needs hope this Christmas? Do you need hope this Christmas? I do. But so does our world. So do the people that you're going to rub shoulders with tomorrow when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to town and buy groceries, when you go shopping. Who's Christmas shopping, right? A lot of us are. When you, you're going to rub shoulders with a lot of people. People need hope this Christmas. As God's people, we have been given the light of the gospel and we are to take it into this world. Maybe you're here today and you feel like there's a darkness that has overtaken you. Maybe you need to let that light shine in your heart, shattering the darkness. When you think about, when you think about the darkness of the world, this is something that um, someone just, just told me about or des- described to me recently and I found it so helpful because this is, this is me. Maybe some of you guys are just ultra positive and never wrestle with negative, negative things. But it's easy for me to get wrapped up in the negative things or the negative, the, or get maybe bogged down. That's, maybe that's the right way. Bogged down the negative things that are happening, maybe in my life, but even in the world. So think of your life as a split, or in your mind as a split screen. In front of you is the hope of Christ, the hope of the gospel, the hope of Christmas, the light that Jesus brings. That's the main screen in front of you. But over here in your peripheral, there's another screen. That screen is going to be flashing. It's going to do all kinds of things to get your attention. That's the, the darkness of the world, the news, when you read the news and you see all these negative things that are happening, the terrible darkness that's out there. And we, you recognize it. So, so there's the, the other extreme from getting bogged down with the darkness is just act like it's not there. It's there. Recognize it, but don't stay there. Come back to the hope of the gospel, the hope of Christ, and let that shape how you see everything else over here. Because what, what I focus on is what's going to get my attention, is what, is what I'm going to give my heart to. That's what's going to take over my life. So when I focus on Christ, it gives me hope, and it brings a different perspective to the darkness in the world around you. So this Christmas, perhaps what we need the most is to, is to come to that manger with this child that he talks about in verse 6 with our hands empty. We come receiving the grace and the love of God who would come to this earth to save us as a little baby. He would come into our world. We need to stop trying to take matters into our own hands and save ourselves from our darkness within and the darkness around us. We instead turn our faces to the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Study those four names. 
from, from now until Christmas. Look, dig into those and let that spring up a beautiful hope within you. One last thought as you look at the verse, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Make it personal. Make it personal. Because unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. Unto me a child is born. That's, that's how personal the gospel is to all of us and to the world. Thank you. Would you stand with me? And we'll close in prayer. Worship team, you can come on up.